from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig with details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans, and yet there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Hey, y'all. Eves here. Today's episode contains not just one, but two nuggets of history. Consider it a double feature. Enjoy the show. Hi again. Welcome to This Day in History class, where history waits for no one. The day was May 20th, 1932. Famed aviator Amelia Earhart departed Harbor Grace, Newfoundland on her nonstop solo flight across the Atlantic Ocean. The next day, she became the first woman and second person ever to complete such a flight. Just five years later, Amelia and her navigator, Fred Noonan, were declared lost at sea. While Amelia lived in Toronto, Canada, working as a nurse's aide, she would visit the local airfield. There, she watched pilots in the Royal Flying Corps train, and her interest in flying grew. In 1920, while Amelia was in California with her family, she rode in an airplane for the first time with pilot Frank Hawks. It was then she decided that she wanted to learn how to fly. Amelia began taking flying lessons, and soon she decided to buy her own plane. In 1921, she passed her flight test and earned her National Aeronautics Association license. In 1922, Amelia made her first solo flight and became the first woman to fly solo above 14,000 feet. In April of 1928, after stints studying medicine and social work, Amelia received an invitation to go to New York to be interviewed by publisher George Palmer Putnam. 
Putnam was looking for someone to be the first woman to fly in a plane across the Atlantic as a passenger. She was selected and she left on June 3rd, 1928 with a male pilot and navigator. Her job on the trip was to keep the plane's log, but the feat still got her national attention. She went on lecture tours, wrote a column on aviation for Cosmopolitan, and did product endorsements. That same year, she became the first woman to fly solo east and west across the United States. In 1930, Earhart set a new speed record for women, and in 1931, she set an altitude record in an autogyro, an aircraft that was eventually superseded by the helicopter. But Amelia decided she wanted to fly solo across the Atlantic again, this time as the pilot rather than a passenger. On May 20th, 1932, Amelia left Harbor Grace in a red Lockheed Vega 5B. Though the first few hours of her flight went pretty smoothly, later she did have some trouble. She ran into an electrical storm, the altimeter failed, the wings iced, and the plane went into a tailspin for 3,000 feet. So she had to land in Northern Ireland rather than Paris, as she had originally planned. 15 hours and 56 minutes after she took off from Newfoundland, she landed in a pasture near Londonderry, Northern Ireland. When she got back to the United States, she got a lot of recognition. Congress gave her the Distinguished Flying Cross, a military decoration given to someone for their heroism or extraordinary achievement while in a fight. In August of 1932, she set a speed record on a nonstop flight across the United States from Los Angeles to Newark, New Jersey. Over the next few years, Amelia would continue setting records. She went on to do daredevil stunts, became a visiting faculty member at Purdue University, and helped form the 99s, an organization for the advancement of female pilots. But Amelia wanted to fly around the world at or near the equator, since it had not been done before. After one called-off attempt to circumnavigate the globe in March of 1937, Amelia flew from Oakland, California to Miami in May. And on June 1st, she left Miami with navigator Fred Noonan. After stops in South America, Africa, and Asia, they reached Lae in New Guinea at the end of June. They had already flown tens of thousands of miles, but they had thousands of miles left to go before they would get back to Oakland. They departed Lae on July 2nd, headed for Howland Island. In Earhart's last radio transmission, she said, we are running north and south, indicating they were searching for the island, but they did not make it to the island. A rescue search turned up nothing. Though there has been much speculation as to what happened to Amelia on that last faded flight, Earhart and Noonan's disappearance remains a mystery. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. We'd love it if you left us a comment on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at TDIHC Podcast. Thanks for joining me on this trip through history. See you here, same place, tomorrow. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. 
he says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. You can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On a network that covers more roads than any other carrier. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls. Finish up that presentation or answer last-minute emails. Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to see if you're eligible for a free trial today. Based on independent third-party data, always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Hey, y'all, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History Class, a podcast for people who can never know enough about history. The day was May 20th, 1902. Cuba gained independence from the United States, and a Republican administration began in the country under Tomas Estrada Palma. From 1868 to 1878, Cuba was involved in the Ten Years' War, a war for Cuba's independence from Spain. Cubans had grown dissatisfied with Spanish administration, and a revolution led by Carlos Manuel de Céspedes began. The war ended with the Pact of Zanjón, which promised Cuba more reforms and autonomy. But all those promises were not met, and the conflict did not end there. In 1879, the so-called Little War began. One of its leaders was Calixto Garcia, a revolutionary who did not sign the Pact of Zanjón. But by September of 1880, the uprising had been suppressed. But there still had been no true reform. The Cuban War for Independence began in 1895, led by Calixto Garcia, Maximo Gomez, and Jose Martí. This conflict continued previous struggles for Cuban independence from Spanish rule. Jose Martí presented the Manifesto of Montecristi, which detailed the insurgents' war policy. It said that Black people and white people alike would participate in the war, that the participation of all Black people was crucial for victory, and that Spaniards who did not object to the war would be spared. It also said that private rural properties should not be destroyed, and that the revolution would bring new economic life to Cuba. The revolutionaries opposed Spanish political rule, but they also supported an overhaul of the Cuban social system. By early 1896, rebel forces controlled most of Cuba. They soon earned the support of the majority of the population. 
Spanish authorities responded to the revolutionaries' efforts by increasing the number of troops on the island and sending people in the countryside to concentration camps in fortified towns. But the devastating effects of the concentration camps led to more Cubans supporting the revolutionaries. While Cubans targeted planters and controlled the countryside, the Spanish controlled the cities and targeted peasants. In 1897, Spain offered home rule to Cuba, but as the War of Independence drew to a close in 1898, the conflict transformed into the Spanish-American War. By this point, the conflict in Cuba had captured the attention of people in the United States. The U.S. had an interest in driving out European colonial powers, and yellow journalism exaggerated news of Spanish atrocities against Cubans and stories of rebel bravery. When the USS Maine exploded and sank in Havana's harbor, the U.S. had pretext for military intervention in Cuba. The Spanish-American War took place over the next four months. The U.S. emerged victorious, and in December of 1898, the U.S. and Spanish governments signed the Treaty of Paris. Spain withdrew from Cuba, but Cuba remained under U.S. military occupation for more than three years. On May 20, 1902, Cuba gained independence from the U.S., but with certain conditions. Cuba was prohibited from transferring land to any foreign power besides the U.S. The U.S. reserved the right to intervene in Cuba, and the U.S. established a lease for Guantanamo Bay naval base. Tomás Estrada Palma became the first president of the Republic of Cuba. In the following years, the U.S. maintained a heavy influence in Cuba, and the country faced more political and social unrest. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can send them to us at thisday at iheartmedia.com. You can also follow us on social media at TDIHC Podcast. Thanks again for listening to the show, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, Yeah. And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby! Wait! 
Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.